And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang, we are back for another week fun-filled, full of nerdy news. Uh, There's not really much to talk about today, uh, other than I just wanted to wish a belated uh, birthday wish to my son, my oldest child, Jaden. He turned 19 yesterday, and, you know, it's it's one of those things, and yes, I'm going to take a minute to talk about my son. Um... When he was a child, he, uh, if anybody knows me, and and at, at any point in time, I probably brought this up a couple times, but if you're fairly new to the show, or you're fairly new to who I am, um, my oldest child is Jaden, and he's a high-functioning autistic, um, and basically... You know how? Okay, let's see. Let's start at the beginning. Um, he was six months old, and he developed craniosynthesis. And his mom and I were told that he would never walk, never talk. He'd probably be a vegetable. We'd have to feed him, and we refused that prognosis. And you know, we we treated him normal. Uh, you know, like any other child. I mean, honestly, there's two other child, two other children after him, and quite frankly, there's been no difference in 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 how we raised him to how the girls are being raised. And yes, granted, I I admit that I I was in denial. I mean, he's he's at the time he was my only child, and. You know, you don't want anything bad for your children, obviously. But I was in denial. And he didn't start talking sentences until he was five. And it was when he went into high school, or not high school, but when he went into elementary school, he was, uh, well, he went to this one teacher she was a kindergarten teacher, and, and uh, she really pushed for him to be, um, you know, reviewed or studied for autism. And we were like, okay. And he was diagnosed as high-functioning autistic, and even then he had a high IQ. But unfortunately, and we were young. We were fairly young. I don't even, We weren't even in our 30s yet. Um the school that he was at before, his very first school, they actually exited him out because there was not a program that fit his needs. They neither they had a a high functioning not no excuse me they didn't even have that that would have been perfect. They had a severely handicapped class and they had um. Regular mainstream media, or media. <laughs> yeah, I've been caught up with that. Regular mainstream educational classes, 
and that was uh, the first time he was kind of, you know, I don't know how to really explain or say the right word, um, but he ended up having to go to another school because he was autistic. And he's had struggles growing up with his autism, but he never gave up. And we never kept pushing. We never stopped pushing, rather. Uh, then, come in 2019, he graduated high school with a 4.2 GPA. And he's, he's lived a, a pretty good life, I think. And he's just turned 19. He had a great birthday. He, uh, you know, relayed that to me, that he had a great birthday, which is always a plus. Because... He is a computer video game and uh, uh, what is it, YouTube fanatic, and for him, it's it's tip it from well as a parent, it's difficult to figure out what I want to get him or what I can get him for his birthday or for Christmas. And right now, he is in the retro stage, which makes me feel really old because I remember when these things came out. Um, we got him, well not we, it's just me. I got him um, a Game Boy Advance and a Game Boy camera, and he really wanted those. Plus a, a hunt, well, about $400 of stuff all together. And uh, yeah, he was, he's been pretty good. Anyway, I wanted to wish him a very belated happy birthday. I mean, obviously, I was here for his birthday. We spent it together as a family with his with his sisters, and um, like you know, he had a good day, and that's that's a plus. But it was just one of those things where I kind of reflect back on because we were told that you know he wouldn't be able to enjoy, and you know, quite frankly. He, he had a cousin that was autistic as well who uh, passed away when he was 15. So, you know, there's there's always that scare. And he's healthy, he's happy, he's educated. And we are still pushing forward for him to have the best quality of life. And, and he's progressing, and that's the thing. That's, that's the whole thing as parenting. You know, you progress your children forward bit by bit to be functioning members of society. So I'm happy. I'm very happy. And I love him. He knows I love him. And I just want to take a minute because he's very special. He'll always be. He's my oldest. You know, he's my firstborn child. Regardless if he's autistic or not, he will always be special just for that simple reason. And I just want to take a moment out to wish him a happy birthday. Happy 19th birthday. Okay, now... Dad is finished. Let's go ahead and jump into the program. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. If you are brand new to the show, welcome. Uh, what we do here is we get together every Wednesday and I find some fun, nerdy news. And that's kind of the trick here is fun. I don't tackle anything controversial. I don't tackle anything that's triggering unless I you know, come across an X-Men article, and I'm just a passionate X-Men fan, so you can listen back on to last episode, so I don't have to go through that whole spill again, <laughs> and uh, we we go through, and we bring you some fun stuff, 
not like I said, non-triggering, non-controversial. It's uh, information. If you're a nerd, you'll want to know. And we cover one comic news, one TV news, one movie news. What am I missing? One, I, I said it backwards, that's why. One TV news, one television news, one cartoon news, one comic news, and then I send you home with Toy of the Week. And uh, we'll see We'll see what happens with Toy of the Week. I, I've... Last week, I honestly did not mean to make it a, a Star Wars-esque uh, episode, but I definitely did. And, you know, it might be another Star Wars. We'll see what happens. Just Star Wars have been happening, and there's lots to talk about. I, like I said, I if we go through this quickly like we did last time, I do have a fifth article. If not, then we will just leave it at what we got. But for now, I definitely have something for you. Um, and let's go ahead and start this bad boy out. You see, let's go to... We always start off each and every week with the movie news and... You know, there's we're in a land and the land. It, it's pretty much you know, in a world where reboots exist. That's pretty much it. That's where we live is in, in a reboot. Everything is rebooting, rebooting, remake. Well, no, not even remaking. They're basically rebooting, and this just more and more things are happening. And uh, you know. Actually, I, I just realized I, I have two movie news to give you. So I'm going to give you both movie news for for what it is. So there you go. Okay, so what we got this time is The Scorpion King. Reboot announced. Produced by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Well, you know, Dwayne is uh, kind of a multi-millionaire now. So him being the producer does not surprise me whatsoever. It says, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is involved with the revival of The Scorpion King, one of his first major starring roles and a spinoff from 1999's adventure film The Mummy, which turned out to be a box office hit and earned two sequels, an animated series, and a long-running Scorpion King franchise, which ran until 2018. Honestly, I didn't realize it ran that long. Holy cow. Uh, what was it? Mummy 2, I think. I, I don't know if I've seen the actual Scorpion King, to be honest with you. I know they're really popular, but it was just one of those things that I never got into. I don't know why. Uh, let's see what else it says. The new installment will be written by Jonathan Harmon, best known for Straight Outta Compton, and one of the most in-demand screenwriters in Hollywood. Danny Garcia's seven... Seven Buck Production will produce the film, which marks his first involvement in the franchise in years. According to Deadline, who broke the story, Johnson is unlikely to play the title role given the many commitments he has on his schedule, which has become even more densely packed after the COVID-19 pandemic shut down productions for a half a year. 
That doesn't mean he might not appear in a future installment in some capacity, though. The Scorpion King was my very first role ever on the silver screen, and I'm honored and excited to reimagine and re-deliver this cool mythology to a whole new generation, Johnson said in a statement. I wouldn't have had a career. I'm lucky enough to have had it not been the Scorpion King, and I'm thrilled that we at Seven Buck Productions can help create those same opportunities for other hard-working actors today. I believe Jonathan Herman will put in the hard work to deliver a fantastic script for a global audience. The franchise, which takes place in ancient Egypt around 5,000 years before the events of The Mummy, centered on the film's villains, Mathemus, and tells the story of his rise to become the legendary Scorpion King. Their first film, which was the only one to star Johnson, also featured seven Stephen Brand sorry, as Manum, Kelly Hu as Cassandra, Michael Clark Dun Duncan as what was that Bahazar, and Peter Fernali as Tecmec. Following the film's release, there were initial plans for a sequel for Johnson to return as Mathemus and go up against a new villain, Saragon. But plans fell, but the plans eventually fell through, and the project was shelved. A direct-to-video prequel, The Scorpion King 2, The Rise of Warrior, was released in 2008 by Michael Coupon as Mathemus and Randy Couture as Saragon. Sequels which were released between 2012 and 2018 starred actors like Victor Webster, Zach McGowan, who played Mathemus, up opposite a number of cult favorite heavyweights like Billy Zane, Rucker Hauer, Lou Ferrigno, and former WWE wrestler Eve Torres. The most recent revival of The Mummy, which starred Tom Cruise, and was supposed to kickstart a shared dark universe for Universal Films' monster film, failed to connect with audiences, and turned out to be a flop that killed the dark universe idea. Whether it was because they knew that was a possibility, or just because they hoped to get Johnson involved again, that film used a new and different villain, leaving Mathemus for his own films down the line. And, you know... As as we wrap that up, it's it's one of those things where it's it's already predetermined. Okay, this is how we see it in in reboots. Is if you are one of those people that have seen all of the Scorpion King movies, you're going to see the reboot. If you're like me, who has not seen the Scorpion King movies, now I've seen the Mummy. And the Mummy 2 with Brendan Fraser, which were excellent, um, you're probably not going to see it because, like, I didn't see the reboot with Tom Cruise. That just that they they cast wrong in that movie because Brendan Fraser had this kind of uh, young, charismatic, almost like boyish charm he brought to the table back in the '90s, and they they completely missed the mark with Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is what 50 almost 60 now so regardless of if he if he looks young or not we all know how old he is so it just doesn't it just 
flow, I don't think. And it's just one of those type of set genres where if you're a fan, you're in. If you're not a fan, you're out. And and I, I get it. And I, I understand. And, you know, The Rock, putting The Rock's name, Rock isn't even going to be in the movie. So just putting The Rock's name on it, they're trying to pull some type of something from his name. And I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, yes, I get the, I, I get it. The Rock is the number one action star in America. But for him to not even be in the movie, I don't know if that's going to be a big enough draw just to put, you know, produced by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't know if that's going to be a big enough pull to make it happen. Honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Now, speaking of names that will make things happen, the Spawn movie. Now, the Spawn movie, I am totally in. We've got Todd McFarlane, the creator of the comic book Spawn, who's also the artist and writer of Spawn. He is acting as the a executive director. He's director, not executive director, executive producer, uh, director, and screenwriter, right? Plus, he's got Jason Bloom from Bloomhouse being the producer, and he's got Jamie Foxx being Al Simmons, which is Spawn. I mean, those are names. Even if you're not a comic book fan, you know enough about it. Well, just even with Jason Bloom and uh, Jamie Foxx, that, that's going to pull people to come and see this movie. And while they're they're still trying to, you know, get financed in the movie, oh, trust me, I know all about family. One day I'm going to do an entire episode about all my misadventures in Hollywood. So I, I totally understand about... Finding the fine, and no matter it, it doesn't matter how well the 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 script is written, and you know how many names you have attached to it. It's it's about the return. Trust me, I totally get it. But with all that said, there is still more news coming out of their camp, little by little, not a whole bunch, but they're saying, hey, you know, we're not dead yet. We're not in production hell. We're still here. We're still going. We're still producing trying to get this thing out and then with this article kind of kind of gives to that concept of what i'm saying is you know they're they're not in production hell they're still moving forward and it is spawn producer says new film will be very edgy and different from previous films now yes i I understand that there is a unless they're talking about like the 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 Spawn cartoons from the 90s, which I actually thought were really edgy. But I guess in today's society, they're not really... Well, well let's, let's, read the, let's read it and find out what it says. Come hell or high water, Jason Bloom and Todd McFarlane are going to get their Spawn reboot made. This flick, one that's been in development hell for years. Well, there you go. I just said they weren't, and this says they were. Um, if you don't know what development hell is, development hell is where you have all these people that will, they commit. They're like, oh, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. You know, I, I'll, I'll definitely distribute it, but you got to find the financer. 
that is production hell. You have all these people attached. You have everything ready to pull the trigger. You just need the money to go forward. And yeah, so that's what they're saying is they're stuck there. Um, is still in active development, according to Bloom himself. In recent interviews in The Inverse, the horror producer revealed they're still actively pursuing the project and are taking their time to get the script right so necessary people can cut the check. See what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I actually talk about it. I, yeah, well, I, I promise you, one day, even if it's a special, I will do an entire thing about Hollywood and, and money and yeah it's 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 an interesting road to travel especially on the indie circuit okay here we go better yet Bloom promises the reboot will be very edgy hinting at a hard R rating McFarlane has chased for quite some time it's gonna be very different it's gonna be very edgy Bloom told the w website he added it's what excites me about what it is that Spawn is kind of the last great exploration comic. So that seems like an amazing opportunity. It's taken longer than I hoped it would have to get the, the right story, but we're working on it. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about that, I don't know. We'll see. Because that, that kind of, those kind of things... There's there's things that you have to put into the story, okay? You go to certain people for money, right? And okay, you have you have two type of people. You have what I can get back in return. What is my percentage on the back? You know, how much money am I going to get after my money comes back? You have that type of people that will cut you a check, and then you have the agenda people. The agenda people is, okay, I'll cut you a check, but you need to input my agenda into your movie, so I'll give you money. So there's there's a couple different ways, and unfortunately, that's the way Hollywood works. Uh, I, I don't know any other way to not say it as harshly, but that's just the way it is. That's why you see agendas in movies. Because movies are really super expensive. Even the the shoestring budgets are ridiculously expensive now. A shoestring budget movie is considered four to five million dollars. Okay, that's that. I don't, I don't know. That's I'm gonna I'm getting off track here. But you, even at a, a shoestring budget, okay, you are still gonna have to go to people. And some of those people are going to want something in return for you to put into their movies. I know this firsthand, okay? I know this firsthand because that's why The Mongers hasn't been made yet. That's another <laughs> – that's a total another episode to talk about. Okay, where was I at? I totally digressed. I, let's see. Wow. At one point, both Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Renner were attached to the project, though their status remained unclear. About a month ago, about a month ago, I had a big fish. I just about got him on on deck and on. Oh, goodness, this is kind of hard to read. Let me try this again. About a month ago, I had a big fish. I just about got him on deck. Right? It was 
the one that some people misheard and said, I lost Jamie. It was like, no, an addition, an addition. McFarlane previously told Comic Book News. But we lost him. And those are always frustrating because whenever you got a big fish out of the water, pull him on deck and the line breaks. Well, well that's kind of a crappy analogy, but okay. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, Fox is out. I did not know that. I, I did not know that. Maybe it must have happened while I was on my, my hiatus for those few months. Well, more than a few months, but I was gone for a while. So the the break in between season three and season four, that must have happened. McFarlane added, we've got an offer out too. I think a bigger fish. So there weren't too many bigger than the first guy. But anyway, we'll see. If I could have gotten the last guy, it would have been a home run. If I can get this guy, it will be a grand slam. This one will blow up the internet. So we'll see. I don't know. In normal circumstances, usually when you make an offer, there's usually one or two weeks sort of time frame before you move on. But given that everything stopped in Hollywood, probably in a grace period, will be relaxed. I think it would be, like I said, I'm going to only have to go down after this. If I lose these these two big wells, but fingering across on this one. So, again, everything's saying the right things for the right now, but until you get a firm yes, it's always a no to me. It says, Spawn has yet to receive a release date or a distributor. Well, that's where Jason will come in because, you know, Jason Bloom. Bloomhouse, so it'll be a Bloomhouse production, and I pretty much I foresee it happening. It'll happen. It will happen. Um, what will probably require is it'll be more mainstream. Uh, it'll probably be less horror than what they wanted, and Todd McFarlane probably won't direct it, and quite frankly, he probably won't write it well he'll get a, a writing credit but the script that he wrote probably kind of like how ben affleck when because when ben affleck wrote the batman people said oh it was a fantastic script right because he was going to produce it he was going to direct it and he was going to star in it because he was a fan he knew but anyway you know the politics in hollywood got him removed and now you have a new director and a new writer. And the only thing that's similar to what the envisionment of Ben Affleck's Batman was is the title is still The Batman. That's basically what you got. Okay, speaking of what you got, let's see. Have you seen the first two episodes of The Mandalorian Season 2? Oh, if you have not seen season two of The Mandalorian, you have done yourself an injustice. It was so good. And it's it's one of those ones where you're like, how how does it keep getting better? It's it's like I don't I don't know. I don't 
I don't conceptualize the idea of every single episode being better. Now, season one, I think there might have been maybe one or two shaky but I think that was because of who they brought in to to direct that particular episode. And their envisionment didn't quite fit with what was being taken. You know, because you you have the idea of what's going to happen, right? Because it's a continuum of a story. And you bring in – it's basically it's the same writers, but you bring in new directors. And the directors have different visions, and maybe they're not really – they'll say they're Star Wars fans – or, you know, they're Star Wars nerds, but they're not. But they're, you know, Disney money fans. You know what I'm trying to say? I think that's kind of what happened. But for the most part, season one was phenomenal. And the first two of season two is phenomenal. Now, episode two, which came out last Friday, they they went to – they ended up in this Iceland. And I was like I, – I told my, my middle daughter – Zoe, I was like, oh, they're in Hoth, they're in Hoth, you know, Return of the Je- or not or Return, but uh, Empire Strikes Back, Hoth, and uh, she just kind of raised her eye at me, like, you're old. <laughs> That's what I'm getting lately. You're old. But anyway, I guess I was wrong because this says the Mandalorian's ice planet has been named, and it's not what you thought. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was Hoth. I really did, but it's not. The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2, finally confirms the name of the ice planet Din John Visits. Oh, that was such a good one, too. Now, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to leave that one alone. There, there's some other controversy about Baby Yoda, the child, eating eggs. I guess that upset some people. Uh I'll just put that there, but I'm not going to touch on it. If you want to, you can Google it. It's eh, it's fiction. It didn't happen for reals. That's all. All right. I got to give you your obligatory warning. Warning. The following contains spoilers for Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2, Chapter 10, The Passenger. Available now on Disney+. Plus. All right. Here we go. Honestly, if you've not seen... The Mandalorian, you need to push pause, go watch it, come back when you're done, I'll wait, because you don't want to spoil that. It's just, it's so good. I mean, wow, you know? All right, I give you a chance. Here we go. Prior to the premiere of Mandalorian Season 2... There was a whole lot of speculation involving the identity of an unknown ice planet glimpsed in the season's trailer. Din Djarin and the child eventually made their way to the world in Chapter 10, The Passenger. But the episode sim- seemed to come and go without actually revealing where they were. That is, until you know how to translate a barish, a barish? A-U-R-E-B-E-S-H, a barsh, a written language of the Star Wars universe. Okay. Eat your heart out, Star Trek fans. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. 
a user on Star Wars Links subreddit posted a screenshot from Chapter 10, The Passenger, that showed a display on Dinge Starship, the Razorcrest, identifying the mysterious ice planet as Maldo Carius and Albanish. According to the user, the screenshot appears in around 31 minutes and 31 seconds into the episode. Yeah, that wasn't put there on purpose, was it? 3131? Uh-huh. If the name rings a bell, it's possibly because Maldol Karish is the same planet that Din traveled in to in the series premiere, Mandalorian, episode title 1, The Mandalorian. Follows Din to a world as he hunts down the Methanol, Methanol, Let's see, Mithril, thank you, with a bounty on their head. It's a key scene that establishes just how deadly and efficient Din is as he successfully locates and captures the Mithril at the bar. After readily disposing of the bunch of onlookers who harass them. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The... You know, the uh, the blue guy, kind of the fishy guy who he, he apprehends, that's where it takes place. So he's been there before. In Chapter 10, the passenger, Din, the child, and their passenger, a character referred to as Frog Lady, which I loved. That was just like, you know, because the child okay we've seen the child eat frogs right so he's looking at frog lady like oh you are like prime rib to me right now <laughs> you know he was uh, he he was eating frogs literally in the in the first season he was eating frogs so a big giant frog lady oh yeah yeah he would be happier. He the only way he would be happier is if he ended up in like Frogtown. You know, like Hell Goes to Frogtown, that movie. That yeah, yeah. That's I'm digressing again. Let me jump back into what I was reading. Uh, let's see. Inadvertently crash land in the Motto Chris Kurish, uh, while attempting to flee a pair of New Republic X-wing pilots, who had identified Din as a bounty hunter involved in breaking out of prison. Quinn. In Season 1, Episode number 6, The Prisoner. Much like how Din and the Razor Crest were attacked by the Revenok while taking off on Mondo Crest in the season premiere. Season or Chapter 10, The Passenger, pits Din and his companions against another one of the planet's giant monsters, the Krykona, a creature previously featured on Star Wars Rebels. As he did before, Din manages to make it out of the planet with his crew alive, though only after sustaining heavy damage to his ship and getting an assistance from the X-Wing pilots and destroying the Krykona and its babies. That, oh my god, that was so creepy. They were like space spiders. They were, just, they were nasty too. Some of them just like, I mean the biggest one was like, I don't know. Maybe like uh, probably as big as Ben, Big Ben, you know, in England, something like that big. That sucker was huge. It was, it, yeah, it was nasty. If you don't like spiders, yeah, 
<laughs> that episode probably not going to work for you. Okay, it says, although it might seem a little giant coincidence that Din would accidentally find his way back to a planet he visited fairly recently, it's far from implausible. After all, Din tends to travel in the same region of the galaxy over and over to avoid being detected by New Republic. If he were to crash his ship, it'd probably end up being a familiar orb. Not to mention, Din is unable to travel to hyperspeed in Chapter 10 due to the Frog Lady's eggs, which were too fragile to be transported that way. This explains why he would travel so close to a place like Maldol Krish to reduce the chance of encountering pirates, despite knowing from personal experience just how dangerous the planet can be. No doubt, no doubt, some fans will be disappointed to learn that the ice planet in Chapter 10, the passenger, is Maldol Krish and not something like Irum. No. Oh. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Years before the world is converted into Starbase, or Killer, Star Killer Base, First Order Super Weapon and Force Awakens. However, that arguably would require a greater leap of suspension of d d disbelief. Got tongue tied there for a second. And might come crossover as the forced attempt to link the events of the Mandalorian and Star Wars sequels closer together, since the whole idea behind Mandalorian is to tell a smaller story set in equivalent of a Wild West of Star Wars universe. It's better for the show to avoid making unnecessary big connections as much as possible. And I actually agree with that. I think that it's not... You're still... You're still too young of a show to start connecting to the big worlds yet. Uh, but, you know, Hoth. Hoth would have been good to... It would be an ode. It would have been jumping back instead of jumping forward. I don't know. I think Hoth would have been better. But whatever. That's why they make the millions and millions of dollars and I make the nickels. As the other rumored possibility, as the giant ice planet that it has denounced the snowy homeworld of the clan Wren and rebels sub Wren. Mandalorians may yet visit that world in the future, but before it does, Din has some additional detective work to do. So to figure out where all the other Mandalorians are and how they can help him reunite the child with the Jedi. And of course it, this was created by John Favreau, Mandalorian stars Pedro Pascal, with guest stars Gina Carano, who wasn't in it. Carl's Weather wasn't in it. Uh, directors for the new episodes include John Favreau, Dave Frazzini, Bryce Dallin Howard, Rick Frahawu, Carl Weathers, Peyton Reed, and the one that I cannot wait to see, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, I messed up on my role on Rodriguez. Yes. Yes. If there's no machete reference in that episode, I will be greatly disappointed. Just saying. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, I'm just being stupid now, but, you know, 
have machete end up in Star Wars world. He pulls out his machete, but it's a lightsaber machete. I just like the I like the way he, I, I, he says machete. That's why I keep saying it like that. Uh, to be a young comic book nerd. Actually, I'm not really young anymore, am I? Huh. According to my daughter, I'm old. Speaking of comic books and olds, um, there's been some uh, news that kind of came out through The Simpsons. And one of my favorite, I don't know why, I, I, and it's not even because I'm a comic book fan, and for years I was really heavy, and people said that I looked like this guy. Plus, I used to have really long hair. I wore my hair back in a ponytail. And uh, I used to have a Fu Manchu instead of a beard. Everybody's like, dude, you look like comic book guy. And I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, I, I look at the picture, and I'm like, damn, I did, too. But um, speaking of comic book guy, he made some news today. And it is The Simpsons. Yes, comic book guy's real name has been revealed. Really? Huh. I, I'm I I haven't read this yet because I'm I'm kind of invested to find out what it is, but I'm like hoping it's not like something stupid, you know. Like John Smith, come on, there's got to be something good, you know, some type of tie-in like, uh, uh, what Stan Kirby or something like that, you know, an ode. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Okay, I'm gonna try my best not to go on a rant. Here we go. The Simpsons comic book guy has long been an enigma, but it turns out his full name is hidden in season 16 episode. Really? It was? Hmm. Within 32 seasons under its belt and a literary of characters occupying the quaint little town of Springfield, The Simpsons is the longest running scripted show in TV history. The series has used all that time to provide backstories for its casting characters and recruiting background people to local eccentric figures. In fact, the season 16's Homer and Ned Hail Mary Pass, the mysterious of comic book guy's true identity was revealed in a quick gag the audiences may have forgotten about. In the episode, comic book guy casually mentions to Ned Flandler that his name is Jeffrey Albertson. Me. Meh. Meh. Sorry, I'm just like, meh. The owner and sole proprietor of Android's Dungeon and Baseball Card Shop had a long history of serving as the resident expert in all things pop culture, but his personal life was largely unexplored up to that point. Jeffrey, huh? Okay, I'll go with it. Ah, I'm kind of disappointed now. <laughs> After the surprise name drop, the Simpsons showrunner at the time, Al Jean, revealed that Jeffrey Albertson was chosen mainly to anger fans who had been curious about the character's name. It had been a mysterious for nine mystery for 19 years only, so for it to be extremely generic name, made for a good gag. Uh, that's probably why I don't remember it. What added fuel to the fire was that Homer and Ned's Hail Mary Pass aired the same night on Fox as Super Bowl 30, 
was at 39. Meaning there were plenty of people tuned in to watch Comic Book Guy get his name. However, in reality, Comic Book Guy not having a name didn't create an air of mystery around him. It just provided how inevitable he was to the story. Even with his throwaway joke mentioning his name, The Simpsons proved time and time again that while the world it's built is advanced in structure, sometimes characters can just be relaying, re-alligated to their occupation or personalities. Yes. Uh, there's a where Stan pops in. Yeah, that was uh, I remember that one. Characters like Old Jewish Man and Crazy Cat Lady might have names and li- lives of their own, but unless the fact that the permanent of the story, they exist just as Old Jewish Man and Crazy Cat Lady. Jeffrey Albertson will be his name, but his moniker, akin to the heroes and villains he worships, will always forever be comic book guy. Very well done. <sighs> yeah. All right, Jeffrey. I'll still call you. I'll I'll always call him uh, comic book guy. I just just the way it is. I I don't know about Jeffrey Albertson. Some <laughs> I am grumpy. Well, I'm I'm not grumpy. I'm griping. I'm more griping than grumpy. All right. Let's see. So we've hit you with two movie news. A TV series news with Mandalorian. And we gave you some Simpson news for cartoons and animated. So we are now on the comic book news. And I went with this one because, well, there was an X-Men one, but I decided not to go with it. This one just caught my attention more because it, it... well, let me read it to you. And again, it's it's going to be Star Wars, etc. Uh, yeah, you'll see. Here we go. <clears throat> Star Wars, Darth Vader just gave the Empire a new hope. Which, you know, ha 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 ha. Good callback. You know. You'll see. You'll, yeah. Okay. It all, it, it, yeah. <laughs> In Star Wars number eight. Darth Vader discovers that what he believes to be a new hope to follow up on the Empire's victory against the Rebels at Hoth. Yeah, did I just mention that? I think I did. Warning, the following contains spoilers for Star Wars number 8 by Charles Soule, Jan Barzudu, Rachel Rosenberg, and V.C. Clayton Cowles, now on sale. After losing the Battle of Hoth in Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, the Rebel Alliance scattered across the galaxy with the Empire hot on their tail. It doesn't help that aside from the size of the fleet that the Empire has at its disposal, one of the best commanders has cracked the Rebel security codes. Princess Leia is doing all that she can to rally the troops many of her friends among them, but she doesn't know just how fast their time is already running out. From the Emperor's Chamber, 
high in the skyline of Sky City. Darth Vader informs his lord that the remnants of the rebel fleet have scattered after their defeat, and the Emperor tells Vader that whatever remains must be eliminated. He limits that the General Tharkin and Tarkin are both deceased, as either of them would have been perfect persons to carry out the mission. When the Emperor begrudgingly asks if Vader should put his hunt for Lucas on hold to carry out the task himself, Darth Vader tells his master, No, there is another. In a moment that almost perfectly reverts to a conversation between Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi in Empire Strikes Back. And those words, Commander Ilvillian Zion Tacken's former apprentice goes from being an afterthought to one of the Empire's secret weapons. Interesting. I wonder... I know someone... Huh. I'll have to think about that. I I, I know someone that cosplays. Uh, I, I think that's who she cosplays as. Uh, currently, Zara is overseeing a mining, a mining facility in Kersel, or Kessel, like, you know, Kessel Run. Uh, not originally doing much at all. Once the call from Coruscant comes in, Zara speaks to Vader through a hologram and his remarks about her time serving under Tarkin. Vader asks why Sahara has been placed on a non-essential duty. She informs him, that she felled Tarkin on a mission, so he punished her with menial tasks and pseudo-exile. Unfortunately for her, Tarkin's dead. When the star, the Death Star was destroyed before she could ever prove herself to him again and regain proper position within the Empire. Darth Vader takes it upon himself to offer her a chance of redemption she seeks and hands down the task of hunting and eliminating any remaining rebel alliance, along with whatever she needs to finish the job. Commander Zahara truly is the best choice that Vader could have made for the task. Zahara entered into the Imperial Academy, quickly rising through the ranks and gurning her the attention of Governor Tarkin. After Taking her and two of other students as his personal protégés, Tarkin brought the three to his home world to hunt game, as well as each other. When Zahara was the first to figure out figure this out, she easily took out the albino vermok she was initially sent after, as well as her imperial competition, and won Tark's favor. On a later mission, she would suffer an embarrassing failure when she eliminated a decoy target instead of the, her actual mark during an assassination that Tarkin had personally tasked her with. As punishment, he had her reassigned, and though Zahara worked hard to correct her failure and redeem herself in the eyes of her mentor, Tarkin died before she had a chance. Okay, interesting. I really wonder. Okay. This time, Zahara is 
willingly to suffer another defeat. She joins the broading party, leaving her Star Destroyer in interception, a very valuable rebel asset. Zahara and her crew quickly made their way into the same ship that is currently occupied by Leia Organa. After taking out the first line of defense, Zahara makes her presence known by hijacking the ship's comms and telling its crew that she is there for the princess. Leia decides to make her way through the bowels of the ship to meet with Zahara, though she knows it's a trap. From the shadow, Zahara leashes or slashes at Leia with her sword, tearing through her blaster and drawing blood. Before she can do too much dam- damage, Zahara is interrupted by a lightsaber-wielding Luke Skywalker and is forced to make a hasty retreat. Though her mission wasn't a complete success, it was far from a failure. She drew rebel blood, important rebel blood, and Zahara is going to rest easy knowing that she made an unforgettable impression on Princess Leia. She knows that Leia is more than just a leader to the rebellion, but rather she is a symbol of hope and inspiration. By leaving such a mark on her, Zahara has taken some of Leia's confidence and likely left a noticeable dent in her impeccable leadership. For now, at least, Zahara is the Emperor's new hope. Okay, interesting. Uh, I haven't read it, and I don't. I, I'll probably. I don't know. I, I'm kind of interested in what they are producing, and I want to see how it works with the movies because I think that the, what that's we're trying to do is they're trying to take the comic books and they're trying to make an abridged. Uh, between the movies so i don't know maybe when it comes out in the trade paperback i'll check it out i i'm i have a hard time because it's remember when i was telling you about you know just leaving the the bigger stories alone with the mandalorian i think that's what they need to do with the star wars is leave the bigger stuff alone because one screw up will will just screw everything up. So I don't know. Some people like it. I I'm not. You know. I don't know. I I don't I don't want to come across sounding like that guy. You know. Um. I'm for it. If you want to produce it, and if you if you're a fan of it, read it. Absolutely. You know, and enjoy it. Enjoy it to the most possible way you can. But for me, I mean, it's interesting, but I will stick to, like, The Mandalorian. I I absolutely love The Mandalorian. I'll stick to the movies. Um, I don't know what the world holds as far as Star Wars movies. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, Again, we're not not tackling no um, controversial topics here. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go into that. So, um yeah, I mean, if that's something that you want, I mean, it does sound interesting, and it's kind of interesting to say why she's their new hope, just because you know she hadn't been tapped before. I don't know. 
so we'll have to see if it pops up. If there's any more information on this that pops up in the you know coming episodes of the the podcast, I will totally uh, bring that up. But um, yeah, I mean for right now, it's it's all gravy. I, I'm like I said, I'm I'm a huge fan of the Mandalorian, and I yeah. Oh, you know what? Speaking of Mandalorian, let's go ahead and jump to this week's toy of the week. And <laughs> uh, people are probably getting tired of me doing this. Uh, okay, so I'm not even going to bury the lead. I'm just going to give it to you. Star Wars Black Series, the Mandalorian one-to-one scale wearable helmet. Yes, yes. It is the Mandalorian helmet. The oh my god, and I'm not gonna lie, I want one. I'm very tempted to buy one. It is uh Din's all silver helmet, it is absolutely gorgeous, and you can wear it, it's wearable. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't wear it, I, I would put it up, but yeah, it's wow. Mm. I'm looking at the pictures right now. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay, let me go ahead and give you product description as I'm drooling on my iPad at this picture. It says, fans can imagine the biggest battles and missions in the Star Wars saga with premium roleplay items for Star Wars The Black Series. With exquisite features and decorations, this series embodies the quality and realism that Star Wars devotees love. His body is shielded in armor. His face is hidden behind a T-visor mask, and his past is wrapped in mystery. This screen inspiration reproduction Mandalorian helmet features a removable tactical light, as well as a dual red infrared lights that can be activated while the helmet is upside down. Also features interior padding and adjustable fit. Yes, it's got lights in it, too. Yes, 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 yes. So many yeses. Okay, I got to bring my nerd in back down. Okay, I'm back. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Product features. Life-size replica. Wearable. Featuring highly detailed deco. TV-inspired design. Padding. It requires one... AA battery, which is not included. So what is included? The Mandalorian helmet and tack lights. Now, like always, and I always say this a lot, and 99.999% of the time, I always make it a pre-order, and that is because if you listen to it now or you listen to it three months from now, you still have the same chance of picking this up. So I always do a pre-order. And... This time around, we are doing a... Now, mind you, this is a wearable, life-size Mandalorian helmet. It's $119.99. That is actually really, really inexpensive. I was really surprised. And they are offering a $4 flat shipping, which really got me on that. Um, It says... Let me give you some pre-order notes. It says, arriving date is an estimate, not guarantee. No payment is due until the product is available to ship. And 
item may be canceled anytime before payment is due. And that you can go to bigbadtoystore.com, type in Star Wars, the Black Series, Mandalorian, wearable helmet, and that will totally get you where you need to go. And this one is by Hasbro, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Oh, it's gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I don't know where I'd put it. I would have to maybe buy another curio cabinet or something <laughs> to put that in. I would definitely do that. All right, gang, that is it for this episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and are looking forward to coming back next week. I don't know. I, I honestly, as I mentioned it, it kind of stuck in my head. I am seriously thinking about doing a fully episode about, you know, the time I worked in Hollywood and those indie pictures and, and all the craziness that kind of went down when I was in there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. I might do an extra. It might be next week. I don't know. Uh, just something that sounds fun that I would like to, to cover because uh, we I keep noticing there's more and more people that – are coming in and listening to the podcast. So to give you a little background, um, maybe that's something I can do. Or if you want some background, you can always go to Facebook. You can reach me on Facebook at David K. Montoya. You can go to Twitter, David K. Montoya. Instagram, David K. Montoya. Parlor, David K. Montoya, which I just set up. I have no idea. All I know is it's a new... Um, a new uh, social media thing and link in is David K Montoya and everything is David K Montoya or you could Google me David K Montoya. There you go. Uh, or if you want to, you can contact me about this podcast. You can email my public life at Jayzomon, J A Y Z O M O N.com. And Send me an email. Tell me what you think. Tell me, you know, plenty of people email me on a month or on a monthly basis. I, I would actually be kind of hurt if they stopped emailing me on a weekly basis and turned into a monthly basis. But there is people that I get trolls. I, I can live with them. You know, you suck. I mean, they've been telling me I suck for years. I'm 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 over it. <laughs> so if you want to email me and tell me I suck, that's fine. I don't mind. If you want to tell me you enjoyed the episode, that's fine. Or, you know, if you have some input, you know, hey, would you like to, you know, elaborate on this story? You talked about it this episode, but you haven't gone back to it. Drop me a line. My public life at jayzomon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And... There you go. Also, uh, one thing that I've been really bad about plugging is that the My Public Life as an American Nerd is part of the JZO Modcast Podcast Network. We are currently carrying three podcasts on the network, and that is Mondays is the World of Myth Bits. Tuesdays is free. Wednesdays is myself. Thursdays are free. See how I'm doing that? And Fridays is Lupa's Bits. And you can go, you can find us, just type in Jayzo Modcast, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-D-C-A-S-T. I actually had to think about that one for a while. Uh, it's been a while since I had to think about it. Um, and we are on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, um, 
there's a new one we just added recently too. We're all over. I just I had a brain fart, so I can't remember who, who else we just added. Um, you can search us. You can go to jazelmon.com slash jazelmodcast. You can also listen to there. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud. SoundCloud gets first. So SoundCloud is the first place you can listen to it before anywhere else hits. And then uh, we're all over. And I want to thank you so much for coming in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Public Life. So for this episode of My Public Life as an American Nerd, I am David K. Montoya. And as always, I bid you adieu.